Apple presents events at the Apple Store. All right, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome this evening's guest moderator, Wall Street Journal's Marshall Heyman. Thank you. Hey, guys, I'm Marshall Heyman from the Wall Street Journal, and I'm here to talk with Dane Cook, who has a big Showtime comedy special on Friday night called Troublemaker. Um, so, you know, we're going to watch a little trailer first. So you get a little taste of what's in store for Friday. Dane Cook doesn't do safe. Are you going to be the best? Are you going to bring it out of yourself? He is not hungry. Ready? Jump. Or precious. Someone's a big fat bitch. But he speaks the truth. No comedy show needs a smattering of applause. Save that for golf. Who knows what's next? Hey guys, guess where I am? Finland. Wait a minute. Is this a terrain map of Afghanistan? What is this? Dane Cook, Troublemaker. Premieres Friday, October 17th at 10, only on Showtime. Enough. And here's Dane Cook. Okay. By the way, that's the entire special that we just showed. It's a very, very unique cut. I actually w watched your special, and it's hilarious. Thank it's you very really, much. really, really funny. And um, you're one of the few comedians who has sold out Madison Square Garden. Uh, it's, it's unbelievable. You know, the first time I ever played... I used to do, actually, around shows. There were... Um, I grew up in Boston, and down uh, in Cape Cod, there was a South Shore music tent, which was like 2,500 in the round. And Carlin would play down there, and I would go down and watch some of these, you know, incredible acts come in and, and do this really unique kind of setup. Uh, and some guys couldn't do it, and the guys like Carlin that could, it really appealed to me. I thought it was just a great way to, to kind of keep momentum going and keep an energy in the room that is uh, unlike, you know, standard kind of audience facing the crowd. And, and as I got a little bit uh, better at it at a young age, I thought, you know, maybe someday I'll do a special like this. And uh, met Marty Kulner, who directed it. He also directed Carlin in the Round in 76. And I said, I want to do an in the round show like your boy uh, Carlin did. And he's like, all right, where? And I said, Boston Garden. And he's like, yeah, that might be a little tricky. I said, I know, that's, that's why I'm, I'm either going out in a blaze of glory <laughs> right. or I'm going to try to do something in the never-been-done-before business. Um, and this special you directed yourself, correct? I did, okay. yes. And What's I had a like? very, very difficult time with me. <laughs> you did? Yeah, I did not care for my attitude. Right. I was late quite a bit. You had a very big rider, I I'm a rider, yes. Right. I demanded a mariachi band <laughs> okay. at all times. Uh, it, was, it was unique because as a comedian, when you're working on new material, it's always really uh, about the process of, quite simply, you know, what's funny, what feels right, what works for me, what works, uh, you know, keeping the integrity of the routine, what's the theme, and you kind of work through a, a through line in that sense. But with directing it, and even, you know, producing it, putting all my own, you know, every shekel in this thing is, is, is mine, uh, which is daunting. You start to want to, you know, uh, really uh, be collaborative with the, the, the small and mighty team that you put around you. So it was a real labor of love. And I honestly think it's the best thing I've ever done. I think it's the first time I've watched myself uh, in a completed form away from the, you know, the, the theater setting or an arena or a comedy club and said that really captured 
all of my uh, human emoji, if I may, right. uh, in one in one set. So I'm super uh, proud of it. I'm really stoked. And did you have to watch it a ton of times because you directed it yourself? I did. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, I'm sitting in the edit bay, and I, I remember after about you know four or five months, just turning to my editor, I was like, "How sick are you of hearing <laughs> these bits and uh, you know my voice?" And uh, well, that's kind of a testament too of like you start to really know if the material is going to live. Because you could film a great show, and it just won't translate sometimes. You know, you'll see comedians that you like go on a late-night show, and you'll be like, I don't know, something was just missing tonight. There has to be something in that, you know, in the air that night that uh, allows you to capture a little bit of magic, so it'll translate when people see it at home or on a movie, you know, movie screen. Uh, and I, I nailed it here. I feel really, uh, really psyched. And when you're in, your, in the edit bay, you know, four or five months in, are you still laughing at your own jokes? No, I don't Do think ever I ever really. At your own jokes I think I only it? laugh at my own jokes on stage. Okay. That's the, you're pretty, you know, sometimes because it's, uh, you know, I'm hearing some of those things for the first time myself. <laughs> a lot of improv goes into how I build a set, uh, and so I think that sometimes when people see me or see a comic reacting, truly it's because when you're in the moment and you're enjoying what you do, you know, that's the whole point. Is not to be so serious about what I do. It's like I'm I'm having a good time up there. It's it's whimsical. It's uh, you know, it's play, it's playtime. Um, and so sometimes when you're discovering things in the moment, you can't help but um, find that notion to be amusing. Uh, and you hope that, you know, people want to grab onto it and it'll be something people will want to, you know, quote for years to come. Right, right. How long does it take to put together a set that... 40 years. Okay. Uh, a very, very long right. incubation Your process. Your entire life, <laughs> right, exactly. How long? Uh, I've got it pretty much down now to where every... I'm on like a like a year and a half to two year cycle. That's what I want to do. I want to be able to work on the material for a full year. I want to be able to put together where I want to do it. And then I want to give the post a little time so I can get great, uh, you know, artwork and whatever else needs to be in there. So year and a half to two, I'd like to, you know, be on that kind of rhythm. And coming up with a title for your special, like Troublemaker, I, is that challenging? I, 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 or It's, well, you, you know, you really want to, for this, it was not so challenging because I knew that, I wanted the title to have kind of like a dual persona, which was, number one, I knew that the routine, I, you know, I start off this show by saying, uh, you know, 60% of the relationships that come in here tonight, I'm going to destroy. Uh, okay. and, I, and I do. Um, and I've gotten the emails and I've gotten the people who've, you know, come up to me after shows and said, yeah, we broke up after that uh, after that show, and does that make you happy, or yeah, do you it does little, because or? then you know, because then I'm like, you know what? Now you can move on. You guys weren't meant to be together. It was not a simpatico, and now you can go on to be with the person that uh, that you're meant to to be with. And, and honestly, I also have gotten the opposite. I've had people come up to me after the shows or after a show like this and say, "We all the checklists of things that you said would cause us to you know to capsize." you know, we were right as rain on all of them. So at the same time, I've had people, uh, you know, come up and say, we're married now, we met at your show, and the things that you said are cool. And then I've had people end uh, relationships violently and uh, in a, you know, tumultuous fashion uh, because of some of, the, some of the routines. But such is life, is right. what I say. Well, I was really curious watching the special. If My own know. relationship broke up after this special, so I pretty much did it to myself. Do you want to talk about that at all? I, I'm not ready to. Okay. I'm, I'm <laughs> so. still in a lot of pain, but... But trust me, she looked at me and was like, you know, a lot of these things, is that me? And I was like, yeah. And, and she was like, were you basically, I remember one day, I knew I was in trouble with this relationship and any relationship that a comic's in where, where my girl looked at me one day while I was, uh, was kind of, you know, just staring across the room and she goes, are you watching me or are you observing me? 
And that was pretty much the beginning of the end. I'm, I'm, as a comedian, I'm probably observing you, and it's going to end up in the routine. So, yes, even my own relationship, a lot of you know what probably caused its demise is uh, you know is in this special. After she saw the edited version, or when it was live, I think it was or? doomed from the beginning, okay. Marshall. <laughs> okay. To be honest with you, okay. I think that uh, right out of the gate, okay. it was not uh, serendipity. Okay. And, uh, you know, some things just don't last, right, right. you know, so it uh, you learn our lessons and I'm glad that at least I could get some great comedy out of it. Right. I was wondering if you've seen Gone Girl because, you know, your comedy is a lot about relationships and that's really, tell I me did. what you thought. Well, yes, of course, you're hoping that you're not with a socio slash psychopath. Correct. Yeah. Uh, that's not exactly uh, <laughs> going to be a great road trip. Um, but I, yeah, no, I thought that the movie, no, it didn't incite anything, uh, you know, for me to talk about within my comedy routine, but I thought that the movie was like really, uh, dense and kind of cool. A lot of twists and turns. I don't want to give away the ending for anybody here who hasn't seen it, but, uh, everyone dies. Right. Right. Well, just a little bit inside. Just right. not, not literally. Um, Talk about your social media presence and okay. you know using technology. I'm on to... MySpace. Okay. <laughs> yes. I'm not going to give up on it. I'm going to stay in there and go down with the ship. Yeah. And couldn't have laughed at that one. Not even a half laugh. <laughs> Thanks. All right. Nice talking to you. Uh, social networking very important. I came up. Uh, you know, I found my fans that way. My whole. You know, I, was, I used to like uh, punk bands, and I was watching documentaries about punk bands and how they broke through and I was really moved at how tenacious they were a lot of them and how they wanted to find fans that were unique to them so they would just like kind of go around the town and hang up their you know their posters on um, you know telephone poles and staple them and I remember watching that one day in like you know 1998 or 99 and I was like that's I had an epiphany I was like that's what I'm going to do with uh, the internet I'm just going to hang my own little flyer on each and every forum and, and chat room uh, and I'm going to, you know, make fans like grassroots, political style, shaking hands one at a time. And by the way, this sounds crazy now, but there was a good chunk of like four or five years where the internet was like really fun. Right. No, like, I remember that. Like it was that, yeah. really awesome. There was like very little negativity. If somebody wrote a negative comment, like when I first, people would be like, what? Everyone would freak out. And there was not a lot of caustic energy in there. Uh, it was honestly like, if you sent a link, people were like, thanks for the link. <laughs> wow, I'm gonna watch all of it. And so I would go into like any kind of, you know, I'd go into any kind of forum, you, you know, whether it was somebody trying to, you know, build, how to build a house or, you know, Lamaze class, pregnancy. I went into every forum and I would spend 23 hours a day for years talking, trying to make people laugh in those groups and then posting links to my comedy clips and and that's how I really got the the snowball effect with the comedy. And so technology really helped you find things to laugh about and be funny about but at the same sure. time helped your sort of presence and your celebrity. Absolutely. Yeah. It was uh it was um if 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 Hollywood isn't going to, you know, you know, put me there, if they're not going to don me with the Excalibur or whatever, I'm I'm going to do it myself and I'm at least going to make a living. And I'm going to pay the rent. Right. Uh, little did I know it was going to turn into uh, something that I'd, I'd hoped it would turn into, which was like a, a tsunami. Right. You know, it just kept building and building and building. And, and I, I kept playing into it. I was not uh, relenting. I thought if more people are interested in seeing me, then I'm going to fill Madison Square Garden someday. And so you taught yourself how to do it. You didn't have people. Oh, man. I learned HTML code. Right. I was... 
Dude, I could reformat your hard right. drive. Right. I was defragging shit. Right. I was right. good, man. I was good. I was. Uh, I really spent a lot of time understanding the ins and outs of uh, of computers. And what what's really funny too is like I knew very very early on I was just so into Apple stuff and I was into Mac and uh, I, I was the first one of my friends that was really into all that stuff and they're all like, "What? You're into?" And they still called it Macintosh, which just annoyed me. Um, early adopter. Uh, you can give me some freebies for the plug, by the way, if anybody wants to throw a, you know, an adapter my way on the way out. You always need a new one of those suckers. Uh, so I just, I, I, you know, I embraced it. I never was uh, shy about doing it the same way I was never shy about doing meet and greets and wanting to meet people and understand who I was getting to. A lot of comics would do the show, skulk in the back, kind of like be, uh, you know, anti, you know, it's like, no, I don't, I don't mingle with the people. I wanted to be out there. I wanted to know who my fans were and figure out how to, how to make it. Uh huh. And I, I think we have a clip that about you, you and technology. Oh, and okay. Maybe we Let's see how this see clip it. is. Roll the clip. Okay. Girls are on your Twitter. I want to say something right now. Okay. Listen, with the couple of things with the Twitter that bother me. First of all, I wish they would make the little profile pictures bigger when they're in the stream, because sometimes your eye plays tricks on you and you think you're seeing something or somebody that you're not, right? Guys, that thing happens sometimes, you're like, ooh, that's a hot chick sitting on a dirt bike holding her tit. <laughs> then you open it, old man fixing a transistor radio. <laughs> huh? You know, girls, where you write that little description of yourself? This is where, I, please go, go home tonight and delete it because it's not good. I think that you think you're being very clever in there, but it's really, it's cringeworthy. And it's, go, I challenge anybody, go home tonight, try to read any girl's little about me section out loud without, <laughs> you can't pick a random girl's page. Just try to read it out loud. Just, just a small town girl living in a snow globe of life. Let's shake things up. <laughs> oh my God. I like French fries and French guys. Rolf! <laughs> Rolf Mao! What kinds of things are you finding really funny right now? Movies, TV, people Tinder. on Twitter? You are. Tinder's hilarious. I'm on Tinder. Uh, I had to do it. Have you met a lot of ladies on Tinder? Hell yeah. Yeah. Are you kidding me? It's unbelievable. It's, uh, it's kind of wild. I, well, first of all, Tinder, you guys are on... Well, nobody admits. This, I've learned this. I've been talking about Tinder on stage, and nobody admits they're on Tinder. Really? Everybody's on I feel on like well, it's a bigger LA thing than New York. I, really? No, I man. I think so. I'm I think on it. So. There's a lot of people on Tinder. I'm not saying there's not a lot of people on Tinder in New York, but okay. it's like, I think, feel like it's more happening in LA. Oh, it's so hard to okay. meet people there. I don't know. I'm going to crunch some numbers, man. Okay. Because crunch them. <laughs> There's a, uh, you know, you go to the settings on uh, Tinder, yeah. and basically you can choose, like, uh, what age demo am I? Okay, like totally. 18 to, and it stops at 44, right. which is really sad. <laughs> yes. Tinder's basically said, listen, if you're over 44, you're just dead. Right. You're, you're, you have no business looking for hookups or... Uh, and then you can choose the distance. You can you know, slide a little bar, you know, 50 miles right. or, you know, 30 miles. So I went in there. First thing I did is I changed the age range I was interested in from uh, 18 to uh, 19. And then I changed the distance to uh, 50 feet. Okay. I, I'm on the move, man. Yeah. I gotta. 
I, I am fascinated though with how it's uh, you know people want things you know we're like a now 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 society and that's even in terms of our relationships which is the you have to let that grow that's something you have it has to be organic and it has to take time and yet we are not even satisfied with that there, there's got to be a fast track to meeting somebody and hanging out so I'm kind of at the beginning of that little chunk and you know expanding on it now. There's even like a Jewish Tinder now. You well, they have J-Date? Yes. Well, no, there's a Tinder specifically. Oh, for, for just... Yes. Okay. And there's a thing that you can check if you're willing to convert even. It's oh, okay. I wonder what yes. it's called. Happy Dreidel or something like something that? Something like that. <laughs> have you ever pretended to be someone else on Tinder? Have I pretended to be some... Uh, and kind of communicated with people as a no, joke? No, because people don't believe it's me anyway because right. they, I put my own <laughs> stuff Right, is that a it. problem? You know, the people are like, are you really Dane Cook? Yeah, it's a problem. Okay. It's a problem because they don't believe it's me and that's very frustrating when I'm like, no, no, it's, it, trust me, it's me. And then they, uh, a girl the other night was like, it's not you. And I was like, it is. I go, go to my Instagram page and in the comments put a little uh, emoji of lips and then I'll put a little emoji of a balloon. And, uh, and that's the way I verify <laughs> Why am, okay. I'm like a 15-year-old boy. Yeah. The things we do for love, right, Marsh. Right, right. The things we do for <laughs> it's, love. It's, it's, yeah, it's tough out there. No, I had to prove to you know that I was real in order to and really mine. did that mine. work, the lips and the balloon? It did. Emoji? Yeah, because okay. then and she was like, like, wow, it is you. Okay. And then I could really start, you know, because the only way with comedy that you can ever really, really figure out what's what is you got to get in there. You got to mix it up. The same way like when I was a young comic, you know, if I wanted to do a thing about amusement parks, I had to go hang out and go into observational mode and just walk around like a probe droid, just looking at everything. That's a Star Wars reference for all you nerds. Uh, and, and really, you know, absorb. And it's the same way with technology. I can't opine about something that I know nothing about. So the way that I'm, I'm getting into it is just, and it's funny that it's me. I'm getting an even a different, you know, skew of the material because I'm on it and people's reactions. But uh, yeah, that's how you got to do it. You just got to get in, and mix it up, so you can find the funny. And then, do you get to the point on Tinder where you have no more matches? I do, you and do. then I just click it to 18 to 20. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and then I go to 100 feet. Okay. And I just keep expanding the <laughs> <Right>. world, sir. <laughs> okay. Okay, it's true. Yeah. I love that you know the rigmarole I mean, we all, too. We all know what to yeah. do. I mean, all right. Yeah. I got it. it. Yeah. But did she, and so, she, but she couldn't that girl have said, like, oh, but maybe somebody else runs your Instagram account? Yes. And okay. initially, I wasn't even using the, using the Tinder as a means of, like, uh, personally, you know, having a parry thrust with people. I just wanted to get a, my, a, a parry thrust. Okay. It's, you know, the back and forth right. or fencing okay. yes. terms. Sorry, I thought we were in a fencing conversation. Sorry. <laughs> It's really, uh, at first I had it uh, set to men and women, and I just let it, you know, free fly because okay. I thought more people will see the ad. I just put a poster for, I was oh, using it like I've always used uh, social networking. To promote yourself. To promote. <laughs> yes. I use everything for promotion. Right. If I can have a little dalliance with a beautiful woman as a young single man in America, I'm not going to uh, say no to that. Right. Uh, but at the same time, that my initial point was to try to reach as many people through this kind of, you know, uh, trendy new thing. And so is your Tinder photo right now a poster for Friday's Showtime special? Uh, no, it's me with my shirt off. Okay, okay. <laughs> the, the poster is three whisks later. Because if you just put the poster up, nobody's going to look at that. Right. People are going to be like, oh, what is this crap? It's an ad. Yeah, they think so Showtime I had to put a bought it. Yes, yeah. I had to, honestly. It's like I know the, the system now. I know how to beat the system. And you got to like tease people into it. And then you can show them. And they go, oh, damn it, he got me. Now I may or may not watch the special. Got it. <laughs> Anything else you've been finding funny besides... Tinder. Um, what have I been speaking about lately? Uh, love, actually. Uh, oh, I, oh, just recently. The, I think the yeah. next uh, special might be called uh, Just Love. 
Just because lo- I have just love or love, just love the love. word love. Okay. Uh, I have a whole new chunk. It'll I'll work on it for the next year. I was running it down at the Comedy Cellar and the Comedy Underground for the last couple of weeks, and you know something's working when it works in New York City, and uh, it worked fantastically. I got about thirty minutes, and it's all in and about what real love is, and then ways to identify uh, when you're really not in it. Um, <laughs> You know, and it's it's pretty it's pretty harrowing, but uh, it's also kind of uplifting. It's different. It's a different uh, take from maybe what you're seeing in Troublemaker. Got it. Yeah. Got it. With Troublemaker, you know, people don't realize that uh, I did it over two nights. Okay. And this was kind of wild because I'd always had a uh, like a corporate partner in in my past. I always worked with like Comedy Central or HBO or Tinder or or well, they've never put, ponied up any cash okay. for one of the specials, <laughs> but. I'm always open for a roundtable conversation, um, and so the the goal was to you know you know put up the the money for it and then to film it over two nights and then what you do is you try to like piece together some chunks and try to figure out what works when. So the Friday night show comes around and it was uh, it was a debacle. It was really everything that could have gone uh, wrong on this show did it was like every sound issue i had weird things where people were getting up and moving around during the show people were late getting into the show and they demanded like so they busted through the doors it was just anything and everything that could have gone wrong and i knew within a few minutes in my in my head i'm like this is scrapped this is not gonna but can you like read like can you kind of like can i read yes no can Uh, you like i was i I just learned i couldn't find the word for a second can you you pull the train back and get it back on its course when you know something is going sort of off yes you can always do that but it's um it's very different as a performer once you're cognizant of the cameras it's really tricky to put yourself back entirely in your body and it's always been the biggest difficulty for anybody who's recording a special ever in the history of comics whenever i talk to people you know and i've talked to them one-on-one like i love that special and when i get the inside scoop they'll say oh, i really hate it and you always hear the real deal because nothing beats that organic nobody knows about this but me and the crowd that i'm in on this you know given night you need to capture something and the friday night show it uh, like i said it, it just i was in my head going you know this is this isn't it. Uh, my energy changed. I, I I just knew that everything that I wanted to accomplish immediately in that show was not going to work. And uh, I woke up the next morning, and I was in my hotel room, and I remember sitting at breakfast, you know, by myself, kind of, you know, thinking about the day and what I needed to accomplish. And I, and then I realized, having the first show completely unusable, I was like, if this doesn't work tonight. And I've invested, you know, all this money into basically a home video that nobody's ever going to want to see. I'm going to have the most expensive home video of a mediocre comedy set. And I'd never had that feeling before of in, you know, 24 years of doing comedy of like of real, real pressure that I'd never felt before. There's always somebody else. Oh, they're going to record me. And if it doesn't work, we'll go somewhere else. And this was like do or die. And the Saturday night show was uh, the best show I'd had on stage in like two or three years. I just, uh, through happenstance, it was all, everything lined up that night. And, uh, but funny enough is when I went into the edit bay and I finally pieced together the show, my editor was like, do you want to watch Friday? I was like, no, delete it. It stinks. And he's like, I don't know, man, I watched it. You should probably watch it. There's something really interesting happening there. And I did. And what was interesting is Friday night, uh, because I got out of my head about how I thought it should be, there was a tone and a mood that is more me than I've ever captured on film. It's me in a nightclub. 
looser or looser. It's a there's a a little bit more. I could be a little more terse sometimes where I like to be. I could be you know because I'm pretty you know I'm pretty random. I like being silly. I like being uh, you know effervescent and up. But I also like most comics. Like when I go dark, I can get pretty you know lascivious sometimes and I, I'm and, and that was in there and so as I started to watch Friday what you're really going to see is there's a lot of Friday that I used because you would uh, you never normally as a as a person producing something like this would would probably pick that as the material you go no get the stuff that killed get the stuff that got the biggest laugh and this was more of like no I'm going to give you the stuff that shows you more of me uh, in a, as a in a in a wider scale should we take another look at another clip? What do you think? You guys want to see another clip? The people have their say. Okay. But here's a couple of things that you need to know right away in the interim, okay, that you need to realize. Number one, guys, you'll never, you're never, ever going to win a text argument with a girl. <laughs> it's never going to happen. They will always win 100% of the time. So I want you to just give up on it now. Don't even get involved. A in couple of reasons why. First of all, girls type fucking fast. Right, we're two sentences in, I was not late yesterday, and then you see the three dots come up. The three dots of I'm not finished appear. She already had her turn, but the dots. So now you're under the gun, you gotta get yours out fast. And of course, that's when autocorrect changes the word yesterday to like Neanderthal, a word that has nothing to do with yesterday. Nothing, yesteryears potentially. You're four sentences in, and then she sends like, <laughs> she sends a manifesto, right? So much information comes through your phone, your, your phone gets hot and drops to 54% battery life immediately from a full fucking charge. Why? Because the constitution of Megan just came through. That's a rant. Yeah, can you That's even what we call a rant? Can you even remember a time when you were making jokes about things that weren't about texting or computers or like the internet? I do, I do. I mean, this was really the first kind of tech savvy, uh, you know, because a lot has changed. You know, we're heading towards the singularity, Marshall. It's happening. Right. Uh, and so, yeah, no, I, it, it to me, it felt like the right time to talk about. Uh, that kind of hybrid of real life and relationships, the way we communicate. And I, you know, I brought a girl, the way that bit actually came from is I brought a girl that I was dating to Hawaii and we were sitting on a beach and she didn't bring her head up from her phone hardly at all. And it was gorgeous. Our first day there, we're sitting on a beach. And I finally, I was like, what are you, what are you texting? And she showed me and she was texting emojis of ocean, sun, palm trees, she wasn't looking at any of it, but she was telling all her friends what was, you know, in and around. And so I, I just thought it was really wild. It definitely informed how I wanted this special to go. Was she 18 or 19? She was 22. I had to click the... Uh, no, she was, she was, you know, like 30 years old. But still, that's like, you know, people, are, people, people love their emojis. People are all using emojis all the time. And how much longer did that last? Uh, probably till the end of the trip. Okay. That was pretty much okay. it. That was the end of that relationship. Okay. <laughs> Um, are you watching anything on television right now? The Nick. The Nick. You like it's the my Nick. favorite show on TV. If okay. you're not watching The Nick, you are missing out. Why do you like it so much? Uh, just because I love the era. You know, it's set like in the turn of the century, 1900s, for you know medicine, and you're kind of watching these doctors try to figure out, 
you know, how to cure things that are so common and easy now. You know, they invent the x-ray machine, but they don't know you have to have like a lead vest on. So they're all just like standing in front of it, like as a joke for an hour and a half. And, um, and, and the acting is just uh, outstanding. You know, uh, the, you know, the comedy side, a lot of people know, but as an actor, I'm, I'm really uh, interested in working with dynamic people like uh, Clive Owen, you know, Clive Owen. Yeah. Steven you know, Soderbergh. Children of Men. It's like yes. one of my favorite movies of all That's time. It's a good one. Yeah. Um, I think we're going to open it up to a Q&A to the audience. Okay. Um, hi. You said that one way to find the funny is to get out there yourself. Um, what's something that has surprised you? Right. Well, I think that the one thing that I, I is pretty much a regular experience for me now is it's a very different... Uh, once you've made it, once you've crossed over and people know who you are, they feel like they have a piece of you. And so it's really difficult sometimes to hone and craft material without... Uh, somebody really impeding on it, you know, meaning like you're in a moment going like, okay, this is, you know, this, I'm, I'm observing this, I'm living this moment. And then you kind of know that somebody wants to put their, their stamp on your, you know, perspective. And so sometimes I like to um, be more voyeuristic. I think that's why even why the tech stuff was interesting to me, because so much of that takes place um, you know, kind of like behind closed doors. And the more I, I um, looked for the pulp in that and I kind of interviewed people and talked to younger people and older people who really didn't quite understand it, it was, uh, it was easier for me with that kind of material to, uh, to really, you know, craft it and get it to where I need to be. Um, I think that a lot of the stuff that, you know, takes place in my own relationships and things that happen like in my friendships or... Uh, some of the things that, you know, even ended up in the special, uh, some of them are a result of because people, you know, know me and I'm not a regular guy. I'm not a regular nine to five guy. And so that also turns into interesting materials like my own life. It's like Truman Show. Sometimes just who I am uh, affects the the climate of, of where I'm at. And it's weird for me. I'm a pretty... Uh, you know, I, I'm a pretty uh, shy person by nature or introverted. Uh, and yet once I get on a stage, it, it all kind of goes away. So that's a little bit crazy from where I'm at now. I hope that answered your question because I really didn't think I did, but I did the best I could to fill the time. Um, I'm wondering uh, who, are some, who are some guys that you see killing it at like Comedy Cellar or this place is down on McDougal Street that haven't made that leap yet? And what do you think contributes to that or what did you see sort of give you that momentum? Uh, well, I was on the show actually with a lot of, you know, hammers, guys that come in and were, you know, Louie was in there that night, Colin Quinn was in there working on his new material. I think the last two, uh, you know, the special and the show that Colin put out was like just remarkable, like really next level. But there's some guys that I've seen in and around LA. I think there's like a great new kind of uh, squad of guys that are coming up. I like this guy, Brent Moore, and he's really funny. I like his... Uh, his perspective on things. I've always liked Amy Schumer, and I, I like seeing not only you know how her show broke through, but like where her stand-up is going to go uh, now. So, uh, but the shows this last couple of weeks were, uh, you know, I was just kind of surrounded by you know people that uh, earn their stripes, and now they come down there and they get to you know you get to work on new stuff in and around some pretty great people. Do you end up going to see a lot of stand-up on your nights off or just when you're working? I don't, no. If I'm not in a club usually working on my own stuff, I don't, uh, I don't usually hang down there. But uh, I do spend quite a bit of time, you know, especially that first uh, year of whatever you're delving into. It's a you know, seven-night-a-week job. And when I'm in New York, like I did, like, uh, I think, six shows the other night. 
And, um, you know, if I'm in LA, there's not as many clubs, but I want to bounce around, try to get like three sets a night. And if I could do three sets of like 40 a night, then uh, I'll, I'll try to do that. I try to be on for a couple of hours a night somewhere. And what's cool about New York is you can actually, and I used to do this a lot when I was living here, and I would do six or sometimes even 12 shows in a night. I would book from the earliest shows till middle of the night and sometimes like college stuff in the afternoon. If I could go do like cafeteria show, you know, way, way back, I would do that. And uh, you could take a new piece of material, a new five, seven minute chunk, and polish it, polish it. And by the end of the night, it was done. In one night, you could have a, a brand new piece of material and just put that in the uh, in the shoebox until you needed it. And are there tricks for keep like sustaining your energy over the course of the evening? Like heroin, okay. actually. I do a lot of heroin. I shoot it in <laughs> right. the web of my foot. Okay. And uh, the trick, no, uh, really, the trick, uh, the trick is living a lifestyle. I think that is uh, is. Uh, going to help you to maintain and keep your energy level up. You know, I know in my own personal life, I had some real trials after, you know, my folks got sick. Uh, they, they passed away of cancer. I lost both my parents to cancer within nine months. And uh, it was like an impossible time and needed to work on my family and needed to, you know, go through the grieving process. But I still found myself wanting to get on stage. I still found that, uh, you know, being on stage and working uh, on that, even through there, was cathartic and uh, helped me to get to where I am now. Oh, very cool. Yeah. Okay, look at you crawling around all over. Just So with the political climate that it is right now, um, and you see more comedians getting in trouble for certain jokes that they're putting out there, you mm -hmm. see radio hosts getting released from their jobs and things like that, uh, for making seemingly comedic to their audiences. Do you find yourself having to censor yourself in comment, uh, in jokes that you're coming up with, or how do you deal with that climate change that seems to be going on? Well, it's interesting. That's an interesting question. Well, first and foremost, I'm certainly not a political comic, <laughs> uh, and, and you know, I have an opinion. Sometimes uh, I will show those on stage, but for the most part, I I I enjoy entertainment that's about you know kind of escapism and uh, observational. And I also think there's a lot of guys who do it way, 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 way better than I ever could. So I wouldn't enter that space. Uh, that being said, I think that it's really tricky. Sometimes when you're working under a major corporate umbrella, you know, they're the boss and they've hired you and they, you know, there has to be kind of like you have to acquiesce sometimes back and forth and be able to give each other the ability to like be the artist and then, you know, be the, be the, 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 the money people, be the boss. And yet, I would tell comics coming up now that you have to keep the integrity. You have to go into that room and not worry about who's watching or where you might end up. If you really want to be a true artist and comedian artist, then you might have to forgo all that stuff just in order to have the, 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 the ability to have 100% of what you want to say you know, be shared on that stage. The, the thing about comedy that really just trips me out is that it's, it's like the only place left, really, that you can get complete truth from a person. You know, pretty much anywhere else you can have somebody standing over your shoulder, standards and practices, or, you know, some editor, or some, you know, somebody upstairs in a sound booth, always. But you can go to a comedy club, and you can sit there and listen to something directly from my brain to your ears without anybody impeding. I think that's so, uh, that's glamorous to me. That's like to be protected. Uh, I always, you know, get nervous of the day where there's gonna be a billboard, you know, on a green screen behind that stage for like, you know, Tide or something else because I still think you wanna be able to go into a comedy club and exactly like you're saying, hear somebody, you know, get caustic and get, you know, get all wrong and come at something, you know, with the language and being irreverent without somebody else telling you how you can hear your information, you know? So I, I, I say, 
comics got to get up there and, and speak from the heart, even if it's going to get them in a little trouble. <laughs> how, you do, how you doing, man? My name is Brandon. Um, Pleasure. Speaking of, you know, the integrity, you know, point of view that, you know, comics need to have in order to really, you know, make their living the way they want to make it. Your friend or associate, I don't know how close you were exactly, but the late, great Patrice O'Neill, man. I mean, you, I know you guys, you know, were cool with each other, man. Yeah. And I wanted to know whether or not, like, how far do you think that he would have made it if he had lived, you know, he'd be, you know, if he was alive today. Patrice O'Neill, if you don't know Patrice O'Neill, he, he was, you know, we call him a one of a kind. I came up with Patrice. I started with him in Boston. I remember seeing him the first night walk into Stitches Comedy Club, and he made an, a, an immediate impact on me, not just because he was, you know, large and, and you know, yeah, you know, he was a big guy, you know, and he kind of commanded people's attention, but there was some, something he emulated that I immediately knew. I think Patrice could have gone as far as Patrice wanted to go. And that's really what it came down to with him. And I think the things that he did do that you can, you know, peep out and find online and download. Um, yeah, he could he could certainly be, uh, you know, come across as misogynistic. And some people have tried to, you know, deconstruct him, I think, too much. But uh, he had an amazing heart. He was a great guy. Uh, and the time I spent on the road with him, I brought him out on the road with me quite a bit when I was uh, fortunate enough to get some headlining gigs so I could throw a little money in, in his pocket. But more, it was just to spend time. I actually was afraid to bring him on the road because I knew he'd blow me off the stage. And most of the nights I was going to have to work way, way harder than I wanted to to get him back. But I brought him anyway because I loved him and I wanted to hang out with him. And I just wanted to you know, spend that time. So... Uh, I truly believe he's one of the greats, and I think that uh, I, I hope more stuff of his comes out, and I think that he's going to have his place in the annals of uh, you know comedy history. Yeah. Basically, part this one, this, yeah, this part is going to be real short. No. no. Um, basically, do you still wish you had the ability to spit venom? So <laughs> uh, yeah. that first. Venom? I'm not going to lie to you, man. I still, you know, I have a fantastical imagination. I tend to put uh, a lot of that into some of the other stuff that I'm working on. I got a few things that I'm, uh, uh, you know, I'm conjuring up in terms of where I write, and um, but I think a lot of the stand-up now, and again, it's reflected in Troublemaker. Is I've grown up with a generation of comedy fans, and I'm not going to be derivative and kind of do what I I did before. But I, that's all still within me. So whether that comes out in uh, the script that I'm writing now, or uh, you know, a children's book or something down the road, I'm interested in pulling that stuff out of my creative side of my cerebellum. So uh, we'll see. It's located near the limbic system. I know a little about the brain. Hi, Dane. Big fan of Planes. Big fan of Dusty Cropper. I love How this guy. How did you develop the voice for Dusty Cropper? And what was it like working with John Lester and all, and all of the crew at Disney? And is there going to be a Planes 3? And the other part of the question I want to ask, for Dan in real life, what is Steve Carell like from your point of view? Those were great questions, all six. I think it was four, actually. And I'm going to go right down the list. Okay, first of all, the voice of Dusty Cropper. He's talking about uh, Disney's planes. I got to do uh, both one and fire and rescue. Um, it's my voice. I wanted to do a crazy, wacky voice. I you know, told John Lasseter, I'm like, I got a voice. I'm going to do And he was like, no, no, we just want your voice. We just want it to be really uh, you and have, have what we're looking for in your unique sounding voice. And uh, I don't know if there's going to be a third one. Nobody's told me. 
And John Lasseter is John Lasseter is a modern day, you know, Disney. He's a genius. He's, uh, you know, to you know, if there was a camera pointing inside his brain, I think that you would see some remarkable uh, notions going on in there. And I, I can't tell you that in my career, there's a few things that I'll always look at and say, man, if nothing else, I got to host Saturday Night Live. I got to play Carnegie Hall. I got to play Madison Square Garden, and I got to work with John Lasseter. And The Incredibles is one of my favorite movies. So, I hope that answers all your questions. Steve Carell's a bastard. <laughs> Don't let that smile fool you when he's in the public eye, all right? That sweaty son of a bitch. <laughs> no, he's, he's, uh, he's, he's a great man, and I got to work with him on Dan in Real Life, and he couldn't have been more uh, pleasant. I'm glad to call him my movie brother for the rest of my life. All right. All right, first of all, I'm from Buffalo, New York, so right. you can thank me for this past Sunday. Oh, know. boy. Yeah. Bad game. That was bad. Bad. Anyways. <laughs> Uh, so, huge uh, Twitter follower. I think you do a great job. It just you make me laugh every day, at least at some point. So I want to thank you for that. Uh, what's on the horizon? What's next? A big tour from this special, hopefully Buffalo, maybe. <laughs> a big. It's all Buffalo. It's a Buffalo, Buffalo tour. We got to get our name out there, Buffalo, New York. Yep. I'm just going to be me at a kiosk, and I'm just going to be with Buffalo wings. <laughs> Buffalo wings. I got a lot of Buffalo wing jokes. <laughs> I'm going to be doing. Uh, a couple of things that uh, are in the in the pipeline. Uh, first of all, an international tour is something that I've been uh, putting together, and uh, I'm really excited to talk about that a little bit down the road. It'll also include uh, you know domestic dates, but uh, more film stuff. Actually, uh, my company we've developed a couple of things. I have one film that we finished called uh, that executive produced called 400 Days. It's like it's a psych psychological thriller. It's kind of in the vein of like Mr. Brooks or even like a Dan in Real Life. It's a little, it's a little different, um, and it's really, it's really interesting. Um, Matt uh, Osterman directed that and wrote it, and it's really, really cool. And then a comedy, another comedy, um, maybe possibly that I'll be directing. You know, I got the bug. Once I finish this, uh, I've, I've become very quickly very good friends with Jerry Lewis over the last couple of years through a series of very fortunate events. And uh, I've got, he's become a, a, a mentor of mine. I communicate with him quite a bit. And you know, this is the guy that uh, you know, directed, wrote, produced everything. He made, you know, made his career and, and everything that he did with Dino and all that stuff was you know, really because he believed in himself. And, and he's given me a lot of food for thought in how I can now go about uh, you know, being closer to my own vision and things that I want to create. So I think in the next couple of years, you're going to see, you know, on the tail of this, more of, uh, less of the kind of comedies I did before, which I was, I kind of stepped into last minute. They were like, we got this thing, and it's, you know, you're a guy, you're magic, you've got to you know, kiss a girl, they get married. It was always something I came into late that, you know, was a blast, and, uh, you know, it could help me pay the rent, but now it's taking my time and doing things that I, that are more like you know from the uh, petri dish all the way up to you know when we'll get a release at some point. So stay tuned. Thanks, man. Well, let's give a round of applause to Dane Cook and Marshall. And everybody has to tune into a special on Friday night on Showtime or watch it on demand. Maybe? Yeah, uh, Showtime anytime as well. I know they're covering it, and uh, so it'll, I'm sure it'll be everywhere in a minute, but uh, if you want to see it Friday, you got to tune into Showtime. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you.